Uh-oh, Father's Day is right around the corner and you haven't gotten your dad anything yet. Don't worry, that's where the sponsor of today's show, Manscaped, comes in. You and I both know he needs some serious grooming in his life. So grab your dad the Performance Package 4.0 and he'll thank you for helping him tame his beast. It's a win-win situation for both mom and dad. Go to manscaped.com and use promo code RINKRAT, that is R-I-N-K-R-A-T, for 20% off and free shipping. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com using the promo code RINKRAT. Don't forget that you came from your dad's balls. This year, show your original home some love with Manscaped. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the RINKRAT Report podcast, NHL Draft Edition. It's finally here. And who better than to have on the podcast than Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet. Sam, thank you for coming on today. Yeah, Joey, looking forward to the conversation. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. And I did want to plug that for today's show, we are on YouTube. So make sure to head over to our YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button, smash the like button on the video. It really helps us out. So let's get into the draft. I think the biggest question mark is obviously not number one. We all know it's going to be Connor Bedard. That's not a very good secret. But there is a player in Matvey Michkov who we seem to have no idea where he's going in this draft. Obviously a very talented player because of, you know, geopolitical issues. But Sam, where do you see Matvey Mishkov falling in this NHL draft? I think there's three likely destinations. And it starts for me at number six with the Arizona Coyotes. And if you think about the timeline and, and that hockey club, not essentially having a home beyond this year, that would be a team that could look at a contract situation and understand that he could probably play on his KHL contract for another three years and then come over. And you hope by that point, Arizona saga is settled, whether they move or get a new arena built somewhere else in Arizona, he would fit the timeline there. The second part that makes me think that might be a destination is because Arizona also picks at 12. And so you're going to get a really good player there as well. So those, that option, um, exist and then if we look at the washington capitals for obvious reasons the connection to ovi a lot of people have compared mitchkov's goal scoring ability not the way he scores but his goal scoring ability uh to alexander ovechkin and i think from a geopolitical standpoint there might be some hurdles that might be a little more easily cleared through washington and the organization there than maybe anywhere else and i suppose the last place you'd look at would be at pick number nine, the Detroit Red Wings are picking there. Steve Eiserman has a great history with a number of Russian players that he won Stanley Cups with. Um, and so maybe there's a, a path there for a team that probably needs to, you know, continue to increase its its forward skill and talent. So those would be the three likely destinations for me. Um, we'll, we'll see how things play out. Um, but it's a fascinating story and will be one to follow right up to and beyond the draft for sure. Yeah, he he did say, I heard somewhere that he was going to be at the draft. So that's a little bit encouraging. So um, anyways, a geopolitical uh, situation aside, if Matvey Mitchkov didn't have this hurdle of the contract and being in Russia, where, from a talent standpoint, where would you put Matvey Mitchkov in your rankings for this draft? Well, we probably would have been talking about him alongside Connor Bedard and it would have been a one-two of McDavid Eichel thing. It might have been a, you know, I know different draft years, but a Crosby Ovechkin type of thing. Um, but I, you know, I, he'd be a top three guy. 
Hmm. Um, you know, at the very least, the top five guy. I mean, it's hard to deny what Leo Carlson and Adam Fantilli have done. They're bigger players, and you know, size always has a bias after the Stanley Cup. So, um, but I think just from a pure talent perspective, perspective, and the ability to produce, you know, I think he's he's probably in the two hole. Um, but those, you know, those two things are the geopolitical stuff can't be overlooked. The contract can't be overlooked. The family situation can't be overlooked, and 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 those things are all going to play a part in in uh, in whatever club decides to draft him. Exactly, exactly. I think it was Tarasenko and both Kuznetsov. They they both took a while to get over here, and even I think Malkin there was hurdles as well. So, not the first time this, that this has happened, and probably won't be the last there. Um, so, in terms of Connor Bedard, I mean, it's as I mentioned, pretty obvious he's going number one overall. Chicago Blackhawks. If you were to put a like a, a guesstimation on how many points he puts up next year with the Blackhawks, I know we ha- we don't know what they're going to do in free agency and trades and such, but as of as it sits right now, how many points would you project Connor Bedard to have next year? 60, 30 and 30, I think, are, are reasonable goals. And that's, you know, the one concern would be what is he going to be surrounded by? Um, and uh, you know, I I, I think Listen, they're still really good NHL players. Not walking into a situation with a McDavid and Dreisaitl, obviously, where those projections would change. But I think on his own and and most likely being a, a first power play guy is going to allow him to get to that 30 plateau. And I think the playmaking is something that, that uh, you know, has improved this year, but also something that when playing with NHL players will look really, really good. So, I think 60s is an estimate for me, but I, you know, I'd look at the 30, 30 scenario. If he went beyond that and then put up a point per game, you know, 75, 80 points, that wouldn't surprise me either. He's, he's really, really talented. So the floor at 60. So make sure to to pick him up in your fantasy hockey pools. Cause <laughs> sky's the limit with that kid. Um, so in terms of this draft every year, we kind of see a guy that was on the board for, you know, on the board up pretty high on everyone's list, but then ends up available at the lower parts of the draft. I mean, in terms of guys that the Leafs have picked, I remember Jeremy Bracco was a big follower that they selected. Matt Finn was a, a follower that they selected. Who do you see falling down the list this year? If you were to guess one guy. Cam Allen would probably be the guy, defenseman out of Guelph, uh, the captain of the Lincoln team that won gold uh, last August in, in Red Deer. And coming out of that, uh, I think there were many projections, myself included, that had him likely being the first defenseman off the board. Um, so Cam got into the regular season with Guelph. A lot of pressure on himself. And this is draft year. A lot of expectations for a Guelph team that did well the year previous. Um, and none of those things really came to fruition. And I think Cam put a ton of pressure on himself, um, having to replicate what he did and go beyond his really good 16-year-old season. And I also think that the comparisons to Drew Doughty probably played a, a part in things. Um, but, you know, if Cam can identify that he needs to play a simple game with some physicality and move pucks quickly and efficiently, I think he can be an effective NHL defenseman. But I also think he's sort of in that mold right now that he produced with Guelph, he produced at the Halenka, captain at the Halenka. You know, where does he find himself? And that self-awareness and, and identity are, are probably the things that uh, that teams are questioning right now. So I, I look at him as being uh, probably a, a back 
half of the second round type of guy, but I do think there is value there. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And then in terms of let's go the other way, who do you think's a guy that's going to might surprise people where he gets picked in terms of being high on the draft it's, board? You know, Joe, it's been a little bit less lately because a lot of teams are on to him, but my partner at sports that Jason Bukla identified in November when we were at the five nations tournament in Plymouth that, uh, you know, that Tom Melander, the defenseman for uh, Sweden, it would be a guy that, that he felt really strongly about. And, you know, when you look at the defensemen in this class, the top three guys, Reinbacher and Lander, Axel, uh, Axel Sandin, Palika are all right-hand shot guys. So not one has an edge there. Uh, I think Reinbacher is still the first to go. I do think ASP will probably go second, but I think Willander will be the third defenseman off the board. And I think all three of them will end up in the top 16 picks. So, He's the guy to me that if you go back to the start of the year and even into to January is, is probably the biggest riser. Okay, fair enough. Um, kind of an off-the-board question I'm going to ask here. So we've seen, you know, obviously these kids are 18. They're still very young. We don't see many players play in the NHL the next season. How many? So we know Bedard's probably going to be there, possibly Fantilli. Um, and then Leo Carlson could compete as well. How many total first round picks from this year do you see playing NHL games next year? Well, I think you'll probably see, you know, there always ends up being a couple of surprises in camp where the player gets to extend or where the team might look at the situation in which the player is going back to and say, you know what, we're better off to keep him around here for a little while. I think that happens every year uh, in the draft. So, Let's look at those top three guys as, as ones that I feel will stay the entire year uh, in the National Hockey League or at least have the potential to do so. But after that, you're probably looking at four or five guys. You know, to pinpoint names is really challenging since we're here at the start of the summer and you don't know what player is going into what situation. But there'll be four or five more guys that I think at least get into some NHL games. In terms of being able to sustain a spot in an NHL lineup all year long, you're probably just looking at the top three. Yeah, and would you say it's above average compared to to other drafts simply because it seems like this draft is pretty loaded? Yeah, it seems that way to me too, and I do feel that the scouts feel that way, uh, that there's going to be plenty of talent available well into round two and maybe even the early stages of, of round three. So you don't typically hear that, um, but I think it was in the same place some 20 years ago in Nashville where we had the 03 draft, and that's draft class we're still talking about. Wow, that's right. That's right. Few less frosted tips in this class, but you know, who knows? Yeah. Maybe a couple of kids make a, a trip to the barber <laughs> beforehand. <laughs> uh, but damn, you just reminded me of that. I got to start circulating that picture. It's a it's a rock star picture. Um, next question. Now I have obviously this is a Leafs podcast. The Leafs are selecting twenty eighth right now, which is what where the Bruins were um, originally. It's the Bruins pick that they got from Washington. Who do you see the Leafs picking at 28th or do you see a trade going on? What do you think the Leafs do there? Well, it's interesting. You got a new general manager. So there is going to be that carrot of making that first round pick, but at 28, you know, in, in any draft, even the draft draft as deep as this one, there's still going to be a fall off. So when I look at the limited number of picks available, I look at a general manager who's new on the job. He might want a few more darts at the dartboard. So I would definitely think that the, uh, there is a possibility that exists there for, for a trade back scenario. So we'll keep an eye on that. Um, but again, you have to kind of 
pay attention to what's going on in terms of who gets drafted in front of them and what player might be available. I guess if I had to target a player right now, a guy like Nick Lardis would be someone that, that I'd think about knowing that Wes Clark, who was the head scout for Kyle Dubas, still remains there under Brad Treeleving, at least until July 1st, and things might change after that. So smallish, skilled, speedy guys are, is right up his alley, and Lardis fits that bill. That's true. That's true. I mean, I, I saw someone, I think it was Chase McCallum on Twitter, was mentioning how it was actually the Leafs and the Flames from 2016 onwards, I want to say. They really like to pick those, like, high point total guys from the CHL high NHL E I guess is the the term they mm-hmm. used there so but I do see that as well I mean the Leafs have kind of traded a lot of their not kind of they have traded a lot of their draft capital at the deadlines why not trade back try to take a few more darts I mean we have seen the Leafs do that plenty of times too under Dubas so that's not surprising there and even last year too they did it so yeah but, I'm just gonna look here at my so they picked Round one, and then they don't pick again until the fifth round. So three mm-hmm. picks in this draft, new general manager, that that screams trade back to me. But we'll see how it goes. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, or or tra- or a trade, too. We can, we, we, you never know what's going to happen at the draft there. But um, anyways, uh, so are there, in terms of on the topic of trading picks, do you think that there is one team – We'll go, we'll go, we'll format it this way. Is there a team that's hot in terms of, yes, this team, I could easily see them trading their pick, a 50 50 and a dark horse in terms of teams that are looking to trade their first round pick? Well, I'd be really fascinated with, with Arizona, uh, picking at six and 12, that if they could package those two picks and, and get into a, a top four or five scenario. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that would be pretty, pretty interesting. And I think Arizona is taking calls. Uh, I know Columbus has taken a bunch of calls on its pick of three. I don't feel like they're in the, in the market to move maybe some immediate help if it presents itself in some sort of trade scenario. But when you're looking at, uh, you know, we have eight teams that have multiple first round picks, you know, someone going to be clamoring to get, get back in there is a situation. I'm just looking at my draft. The sheet here uh, you know Pittsburgh's got a, its fair amount of picks they don't have one in the second round you know maybe that's something that they want to would, would move into um, but in terms of trade up scenarios boy that's I'm not, I'm not sure that anyone really wants to to move outside of the top 10 I mean you have yeah. t- a couple of teams in there like Arizona like Detroit uh, like St. Louis at 10 that have multiple first round picks anyway. So unless you're talking about one of those teams packaging the other, the other first round pick they have to move, mm-hmm. to take a big move upward. I, I just don't know if that's going to be a possibility, but when you're talking about the teams that don't have that first round pick, the Boston, Dallas, Edmonton, Florida, LA, Jersey, the Islanders, Ottawa and Tampa Bay um, might be interesting that if Ottawa is able to get some new people in with the ownership change that, that maybe they do something. So anyways, that that's more of a, you get a better sense of that, the closer you get to the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm really fascinated by those teams that have two first round picks, especially with one of them in the top 10. And that's uh, Detroit, uh, St. Louis. Um, and then of course you got Arizona at six and 12. So some fascinating things to, to consider and to discuss there. Yeah, and it's can't be discounted like in terms of what what direction are certain teams taking. I mean, we saw St. Louis trade away a bunch of guys at the deadline. They now have two first round picks. 
But what are they looking to do there? They locked up Jordan Cairo. They locked up Robert Thomas. They have Jordan Binnington and Pareko for a few more years. Are they looking to trade Pareko, get another first-round pick? Like That's also going to be something. And even Boston, too. What What's going to go on there? So a few well, things. You know, so often, you know, the, the salary cap dictates, right? So mm-hmm. when you have your, your unrestricted guys and you got to find a way to fit them into the cap scenario, you know, the draft is usually a pretty good way to facilitate a lot of those deals. Um, but again, how excited are teams going to be to move out, you know, of, of the first round of this draft? Um, and I think that's why so many teams have loaded up to get multiple picks in the first round. But no question the salary cap is always going to play a part in that. Um, and that might be, like you say, an existing player with term who might be a little bit more valuable, who might bring you something more back. Um, but again, those scenarios usually play themselves out a little closer uh, mm-hmm. to the draft. Of course. Yeah. And we're still 12 days out recording this now, but, um, one thing I wanted to bring up, we mentioned the trades and teams that might be looking to move. There are a few players that have been rumored that they're not re-signing with their clubs. Coincidentally, two of them are Canadian, <laughs> uh, in Pierre-Luc Dubois and Alex Debrinkat. If you were to kind of throw a dart and, and guess, who do you think? We'll start with the Brinkat. Who do you think goes after DeBrincat if Ottawa's looking to trade him? Yeah, I think there's going to be. I think there's be a lot of teams in the market for him. I mean, who doesn't want a, a scoring winger with with really good track record? It took him a little while to get going last year, uh, snake bitten at the start of the year. But I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities, you know, for him to to kind of get get going again and. You know what that destination looks like. Again, for me, that's it's pretty tough to sit here and say, "Hey, who needs this? Who needs that? Who's in the salary cap crunch? Who's not?" I think though that a team that's going to acquire him is going to want to acquire him in a situation where they're going to be able to get him done uh, long term. So, you know, does that up the value? Does that down the value? You know, he kind of holds the cards, but then again. Is it a situation that it has to get done at the draft? Maybe not. Maybe there's more value for teams when, um, you know, the salary cap isn't quite a factor once you get to the trade deadline. So, you know, you're looking at at some of those names. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois looks, you know, he's obviously identified Montreal as being a destination. Is that a road Montreal wants to go down right now? Do they want to wait their turn and, and wait till free agency hits? You know, what what is Winnipeg? Who are they going to be able to exact the best price from? And as the market softened a little bit because he's been so clear in identifying Montreal as his top destination. So I just think at this point, there's just so many, so many questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's tough to get a, give answers and really pinpoint destinations for players who are technically still under contract with their clubs. I mean, who knows what happens with the Brinkett? Maybe it's a situation where the new ownership actually takes hold or is having some backroom conversation saying, hey, we really want you to be part of this thing moving forward. And and he changes his mind. So, again, so much, uh, so many moving parts there. Tough to make those determinations. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you can't, you could just sit here and throw darts at the board, but I mean, yeah. anyone can really do that too, right? It's yeah. not, not the best uh, journalism. Um, so going back to the draft now, who do you think is the most underrated prospect storyline that deserves a little bit more media attention? I know you at the draft, you love to, you do a really good job of bringing the story of the players to life uh, and bringing kind of showing that they're more than a hockey player. So is there a player that you think that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think Colby Barlow's a, a, a really good story, you know, from Aurelia and had to move to and wanted to move to, to go and play as his junior hockey, as a minor hockey rather in the Toronto area. And, and it worked out well for him. 46 goals this year. I mean, he was already a pretty highly projected guy. Um, you know, probably not much uh, in terms of growth. You know, he's walking around with a full beard. So you're kind of what you see is what you get. But this guy's loaded with character. I love the young man. I just think he's he's a a wonderful story, and I think that uh, in in his situation, um, you know, having to to travel or at least have his family be split up a little bit while he pursued his his uh, minor hockey is is kind of a cool background to him, and and to see what he's done here, you know, thirty goals and forty six goals, you know, gutting it out while playing with a hip flexor issue at the under 18s but also winning a gold medal in the summer at the, at the Helenka. A lot of a lot of neat stuff there surrounding Colby Barlow. So not only do I think he's a, uh, a wonderful story, I think he's a wonderful young man. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I think highly of the young man and I, and I think good things are in the future for him. Yeah, it is. It is crazy when kids do that. It's not the first time and probably not the last time we see that we saw that with the Robertsons and we saw that with Owen Tippett as well. So, and to think like at 15 years old, you got to kind of bet on yourself and, to, to be so mature to do something like that is is quite incredible to see. You can't say enough good things about that, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, scouts are looking at that stuff. They know what's up. They, they've done their background. They know what the story is behind these guys. And and Colby's a, he's a wonderful story and, and, again, a wonderful young man. Exactly. Do you have any other, uh, any other kids that uh, you wanted to highlight their story there? Well, I think Nick Lardis is another guy. I mean, he's – He's uh, a guy that, uh, you know, I went into Peterborough last year, chasing Shane Wright around and, and got into the Peterborough room and talked to the coaches and they were really, really high on, on what uh, Nick was bringing to the table. But the, as an older team, there just wasn't really, you know, an opportunity for him. And then of course, Peterborough went all in. It turned out to be a really good deal because they won an OHL title and, and made it to the Memorial Cup. But the benefactor of that trade was was no doubt the Hamilton Bulldogs getting Nick Lardis 25 goals after the trade, 37 on the year, really light on his skates, shoots the puck a ton, flies. So he's another guy, too, that I think is a pretty cool story, knowing how he took advantage of an opportunity to be, you know, uh, once he got traded from Peterborough to Hamilton. And I think oftentimes the junior leagues get a bad rap for what happens in trades and kids having to move and, and reestablish them, themselves with different billet families and schools. But oftentimes in a hockey perspective, works out pretty good. Exactly. And we, we do see that a lot. I mean, Ryan Strom was a kid that was traded in his first year. Uh, Giovanni Smith, another kid. I think both those guys were actually traded from Barry um, in their first yeah, years there. And it right. ends up working. Um but yeah, for Nick Lardis to be moved in his draft year uh, like that, you don't see that too often, but clearly it worked out there. Um, but yeah, on that topic of the OHL, I hate how you can pick a kid first first round at 16 years old, you bring him in, and then you have to uproot him. And you can uproot him and trade him somewhere else, but you can't trade a first round pick. I don't know. In my personal opinion, it's probably something to look into there, right? Yeah, I mean, they used to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So that that you know that rule has changed over the course of time, and who knows if there is an impetus uh, to to change it back. I mean that that, that could very well be the case. Um, but again, you know, rather than moving bodies, sometimes moving picks is a little bit easier because you're not uprooting uh, young men. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um, do you have 
to close out our, our my last question I have about the draft here, who's a, a kind of sleeper pick that you see going in the mid to late rounds that uh, that has really impressed you this year? Oh man, in terms of a uh, one of those sleeper guys, I mean, uh, let me think long and hard about that. Danny Nelson is a really interesting guy, centerman for the U.S. Under 18 program, a converted defenseman, 6'3", 210 pounds. You know, can win draws, can PK a little bit, can score a little bit. He's kind of a He's an all-around two-way center type of guy, but can play with a little a little bump in his game. So he's probably not a mid-round guy. He's you know who knows he might end up going at the end of the first round, maybe somewhere um, in, in round number two. So that would be a guy. Um, Nathaniel Day is a goalie, plays uh, with the Flint Firebirds. He's a guy who who down the stretch uh, unseated Will Cranley, a, a drafted prospect by St. Louis, to take over the Nets. Ended up playing in, in all the seven games uh, for, for Flint in the playoffs. 6-2 guy, uh, you know, who had a late season emergence. Maybe people were paying attention to him. He'd be more of that mid to late round type of type of guy you'd be thinking about. And, of course, the position lends itself to that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You never really see – it's rare to see goalies go in the first round anymore. I mean, we had yeah. that little bit of a run with Askarov and, and Knight and Ottinger. Ottinger, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen too many since. It's it's kind of interesting to see because like a goalie needs to be such a a physical specimen and put up good numbers early on for them to be to go in that first round, be identified and take that risk in the first round that, you know, most of the time you'd rather go to the second to seventh round and you know, let them season a little bit more, right? Yeah, they they take a lot of time. I mean, you play the position, you know how it works. It it takes a lot of time to be able to hone your game at that position, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to be effective in the National Hockey League. I I tend to look at about a seven-year period for that. So that's not something as a general manager I want to expend a a pick on. By the time you're 25, that's when I think goalies really start to get good. So drafted at 18, seven years from there, um, you know, it's more the long play with that position for sure. Exactly. And I find it's because like when you're a younger forward, a younger defenseman, you can kind of simplify your game. You can play depth roles. You can play in the fourth line and kind of chip and chase and then learn and develop from there. And by the time you're 25, you move up in the lineup as a goalie, you need to figure out both the game and your physical aspects all at once, or else you're not going to have a fun time in the NHL. Right. So 20, yeah, yeah, I see 25 is around. I completely agree with that. Yeah, it's it, it just it it takes a while. You gotta play a lot of games. And a lot of goalies like previous to their draft year don't get a chance to play in a lot of games. So they're almost in in many cases behind the eight ball to start with. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um that's all I had for today. Sam, thank you so much for coming on today. Um again, we're gonna mention the uh organization you're a part of hockey. Uh I'm butchering this, but hockey donates blood. Hockey gives blood. Yep. Gives I haven't, blood. Uh, I got to get in there actually and make my next donation. But if you get an opportunity, it's a pretty simple process. Um, and the hockey community is doing a real good job to support it. Men, women, Olympians, junior players, NHL players. It's, uh, it's really starting to take a foothold here and it's for a great cause. Exactly. Exactly. I got to go too. I haven't, haven't been in a while. Terrible. But anyway, Sam, again, thank you so much for coming on draft day. We're really excited. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Joey. Good talking to you.